Thank you, Tim, for putting that together. Um, that's what this, you know, we, as, as, if you live long enough, you realize something's not right. That this, the, the life we live, the person that we have even become, isn't necessarily who we were meant to be. We live in a place that's really, the scripture says, is not your home. You start to realize that things aren't right. I'd like something to change. I'd like my circumstances to change. I'd like him to change. I'd like her to change. I'd like them to change. But if you live long enough, then you really start to understand it's really not about all that. I need to change. I'm not who I want to be. This morning as we start, I just, uh, I'm reminded of uh, Pat Buchanan. Many of you know Bob and Pat Buchanan. They are probably, if they're probably, uh, they're not the longest term members of Menham Hills, but they're probably uh, a couple of our oldest folks. And they have been coming to Mendham forever, and they live two doors down. And um, Pat's been very ill for, for the last five years. In fact, she coded it and was, you know, unresponsive for 25 minutes five years ago. And uh, God has just done an amazing work. But uh, Pat is very, is gravely ill this morning. Um, Joan and I went to uh, the hospital yesterday. We were by her bedside. She, uh, she has pneumonia. She has a blood infection called sepsis. Some of her organs are shutting down. Um, so uh, we believe in, in God the healer. And we know sometimes he heals on this side, but he always heals on the other. So could we pray for Pat for a moment? Um, Father, I just... Uh, so many of us that have been involved with, with the situation with Bob and Pat over the last couple of years have watched this play out, and many of us have talked. I know the guys have talked. We've never seen a man love a woman. We've never seen the kind of love that's called for more than what, what we've seen with how Bob has loved his wife. And so this morning, Lord, as I'm sure he's at the hospital, he's holding his wife's hand. Lord, we just pray that the promises of the Scripture would move from being something he's aware of or knowledgeable of to be something that are so real and present and, and hard and true for him and for Pat. And Lord, we commit her unto your hands in this life and in the next. You will be done in the great name of Jesus. Amen. I hate starting a talk on a down note, but the reason I, I chose to do that was, number one, I wanted to make sure as many people knew that that was going on as possible. But the second is this, because the truth is our time is short. Uh, you know, I'm doing all this, this studying for this ordination process with the CMA I'm in, and the other day they made me go, and we were talking about, you know, kind of eschatology and the second coming of Christ, and they were asking me for my personal experience. They said, when do you think Jesus is going to return? I said, I don't know the, ne- the exact date, but I can nail it within 50 years. And they said, how can you do that? I said, because I'm 46, and I'm fairly certain sometime in the next 50 years I'm going to be meeting Jesus. And that's true for you and I. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to grind out the next 50 years being the same person and getting to a certain point where there is no change. There's no time for change. And saying, what if I had just taken it seriously? What if I had changed? What would it have meant for my wife and my kids and my church? The New York Times in in 2008, the end of the year, they wrote this about change. The editorial said, most of us think we can change our lives if we just summon that willpower. I'm going to change. And we try even harder this time around, said Alan Deutschman, the executive director of Unbound, a firm that counsels corporations how to navigate change, and the author of a book called Change or Die. It's a book that asserts even though most of us have the ability to change, we rarely do. Amen? It's exceptionally hard to make life changes, Mr. Deutschman said. Our efforts are usually doomed to failure when we try to do it on our own. 
The editorial went on, in a season of change, in a year of change, most people who embark on a journey of self-renewal can expect anything but. Research shows that 80% of people who make resolutions on January 1st fall off the wagon by Valentine's Day. Instead, or indeed, people often fail because they rely on the same strategies, listen to this, they rely on the same strategies that have failed over and over, says Karen Schlanger, the director of the Brief Therapy Center in Palo Alto, California, which works with people trying to break destructive habits. I love the wisdom of the New York Times. People often fail because they rely on the same strategies that have failed in the past. If you want to change, you've got to get desperate to try something different. I have some friends that are trying to change, and I've been counseling them over the last couple of weeks, and what I keep saying to them is, you will never change until you become a man that feels like he's being held underwater, and you will die unless you get free. you got to want to change. And that's what this whole series of the summer is about. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible often teaches in botanical terms. It was an agricultural society. The Bible says if you, if you as Christians, if you would say that I, I, I'm following Jesus, I, I've confessed him as my Savior, I've repented of my sins, I, I want to follow him. If you've done that, here's what the scripture says. It says at that moment, something happened in you. You might not have felt it, but the truth of the scripture is something was planted, a seed of the Holy Spirit was planted in you. There is something foreign to your existing body that now exists there. You have the Holy Spirit available to you, the, the, the life of Christ living in you. You can live, listen, you can live out of that force. Or you can continue to live out of your brokenness, out of your flesh, out of your human nature. And the real reason the change in your life is so elusive is that we spend our lives, we spend our money, we buy our books, we pin our hopes and our dreams on trying to get this old broken part of me, this old man, this fleshly body, we try to get it to change, to bring what was the scripture says is dead, to make this and bring it back to life. It never works. It always fails. But we keep trying. People keep selling us books. If you'll do this, you'll change. The scripture says it's not true. You need to live out of the spirit that's alive in you, the new spirit. Now, what we often experience as believers is, you know, you ever see the Bugs Bunny thing where he's got like the devil on one side and the angel on the other? For many of us, we feel that. Truth is, the pictures, while it's silly, is somewhat scriptural. Check out what Paul says. It's in, it's in Galatians 5, 16, 18. He says, so I'm telling you, stop trying to, he's telling them to stop trying to obey all the laws, all the things they should do, but instead, Galatians 5, 16, 18, walk by the Spirit, and then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh, because the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. There's a fight going on inside of you, they're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Paul's trying to tell this church in Galatia, and he lets us listen in a couple thousand years later. He says this, you're always trying to, follow, you're always trying to change by the same way. You're trying to change by some new book or some new law or some new paradigm or some new principle that you're going to follow. You're going to stop doing that. You're going to start doing this. I'm just going to get this old nature. Oh, I'm going to be a much better lover this year. 
Paul says, stop that. That's not helping you. In fact, when you keep trying to live up to the laws, Paul says the point of the law was not that you keep it. The point of the Ten Commandments and the hundreds the rabbis poured onto this in Jesus' day was to show you that you needed to change, not that they could change you. But we keep saying, just tell me, what do I do? Now, if you keep living out of this old man, if you keep living the way uh, of our brokenness, if you just keep trying to tweak it, pretty it up, slap some lipstick on the pig, as they say, you are destined for certain results. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. The acts of the flesh, what's going to happen is if if you keep trying to live out of this, certain things are going to happen. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. It's funny, I was looking at this this week and I was reading some commentaries on it. And it said essentially what Paul is saying is the works of flesh are going to mess you up in certain ways. Here's the way they mess you up. They mess you up sexually. They mess you up spiritually or religiously. And then come eight words on how they mess you up relationally. And I'm telling you, there's nobody in here that hasn't felt what the flesh has done to their relationships. Living out of trying to change the flesh messes up your relationships. And then it concludes with how the flesh will wind up you getting you into addictions. Paul says, this is the natural state. If you want to change, you can't just dress this up. It has to die. It has to die. Listen to me. Every time the gospel springs to life, it is immediately preceded by the death of something else. New life never comes till death precedes it. Now, if you were here last week, we sent you home with a summer homework project. We have more of these somewhere. Renee will find them sometime between now and then. But we have more of these somewhere. And we had these little pails for you. And it had the little emblem on it of of seeds of change. And we asked you to go home and plant these seeds. They were olive tomato seeds in this soil, in in this pot. And watch what happens. And it has a purpose. It reveals for us very visually, right, what the nature of Christian change looks like. Now, Darren, you have a picture of mine? Take a look at that baby. My wife tells me there's ten sprouts in there. Each one graciously handled by care with Mrs. Eisman. I had nothing to do with that. But that's what's going on in my house. Uh, hopefully you planted yours. If you didn't, go home and plant it because this is great. This is the summer series. You're going to see it in a second. I asked you to go home. I asked you to plant that seed. And I asked you to watch what happens. Now why did Jesus say... Because this reveals, you want to understand how Christians change, not how the world changes. But if you want to understand that Christian change, this, that picture, is how Christians change. What did Jesus say? He said that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, life is always preceded by death. It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it bears much And so what you see, if I dug up my little sprouts, what you would not see at their bottom any longer is a seed. The seed is long gone. It's broken, and out of it has sprung forth life and eventually fruit. 
Now, of all the analogies Paul and Jesus could have used to describe Christian change, why would they pick fruit? There's a million things they could have compared the transformation of Christians to. Tim Keller, in his great work on Galatians, points out that this botanical reference is perfect for several reasons. First, listen to this. If you're a Christian, there's great hope in this. First, real Christian growth, real transformation, real change is like a fruit tree producing fruit. Real change is gradual. All those great stories you hear, oftentimes, does God do miraculous things? Yes, He does. But the pattern of Christian change is almost always gradual. There is no fruit on my tree yet, but it is growing. No tree, once the seed dies, immediately puts out fruit. The change is gradual and it takes place over time. With botanical growth, and this is what our growth in Christ is compared to, this is what fruit in your life will be compared to, you never see it happening. I never got up and watched those seeds come forth. You can only measure it after time. Go home and watch your plant. You won't see anything, but if you come back in tomorrow, you probably will. It's almost mystical in a sense. I went to bed, nothing, and I woke up and I had a plant. Does that sound familiar to anybody? If it does, it's because Jesus told the story of a farmer, and Jesus said he scattered seed on the ground and he went to bed. And he got up the next morning and he went to bed again, and he got up and he went to bed again. And it's happening all summer until what? Until the seed comes up. And you see a blade and an ear and finally fruit. This is how it is with change. In your life, in my life, it's gradual. It's preceded by death. But it's gradual. I take my kid, we have a puppy. I don't know what happened. It was a puppy a couple weeks ago, and now it's, it's putting things down in front of the bathroom door that I step in in the middle of the night that are like the size of Texas. But I don't know what happened. He, he was a puppy, and now he's, he's, he's big. I didn't see it happening. If you have children, you've taken your children to the doctor, and you just keep bringing them back, and they keep growing. You never see it. You, know, you, never, you don't see them just go, boop. It's gradual. But listen, there's something that's just as important, because if it's just gradual, there's another characteristic on your change. If you want to change, there's another characteristic that always goes with gradual, because if it's just gradual... That gives, that gives us all an excuse. Well, still under construction. Takes a while. If it's just gradual, you might give up and say, forget it, it's never going to happen. There's another component of change that is true of seed. It is gradual, but it's always inevitable. The growth of the Spirit in you, the fruit in your life is inevitable. There will be growth. There's a story I read this man, a week of a man that was buried in Italy, and on his tomb he had a gigantic concrete slab laid over the top of him. And it weighed several thousand pounds, and it told of his grandeur. And over the centuries now, some, some, some spots have worn off, some cracks have developed in the slab. And, and some time ago, a small acorn fell into one of, those, one of those cracks. And over the centuries, what has happened? A gigantic oak tree has grown over this giant concrete slab. Now, if I had come to you a couple of years ago, if I had come to you when that first happened and said, okay, we have a 2,000-pound slab here, and we have an acorn, who's going to win? You would say the 2,000-pound slab always wins. 
But you understand, if you understand growth, you know it's not true. And there's such great news for you and me in this. I don't know what your 2,000-pound slab is. I don't know what your habitual sin is. I don't know what it is you do in the dark. I don't know what it is where you want to change. But there's likely places in your life where you go, that, that slab's too big. But the truth of the scripture is that growth is inevitable. It may be slow, but it is inevitable. It'll always come, and that's good news. But it's also bad news. Because you know what it means? It means if, if, if that we're in Christ. It means that, if, if that we've kind of come to Jesus and said we want to follow. If it's inevitable, there's got to be some fruit in our lives. If someone has the Spirit in them, if they're a Christian, you produce, listen to me, you, it's inevitable. You can't stop it. You will produce fruit. Now, this is both encouraging and alarming, as I said. But fruit is the ultimate test of our faith. Not gifts, not our ability to evangelize, not how good we speak, not if we can heal. The test of our faith is always fruit. Now, here's what I want you to see about fruit. The work of the fruit of the Spirit is always internal and not external. What does Jesus say? Man looks at the outside, right? But God looks at the heart. The fruit of the Spirit is always internal change, not external change. Our problem is, what are we always looking for? The externals. It's not about a new plan or a diet book or a discipline. It's about a much deeper change inside ourselves. See, we tend to see gifts as the sign of the Spirit's work in someone's lives. But the Bible never does. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't lead one to be a better counselor or preacher or evangelist or singer. The fruit of the Spirit is not all of those things. It's a list of internal characteristics, Darren, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let me, let me show you this. Judas and, and King Saul were used by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, to do miracles and so on. But they didn't have Spirit-renewed hearts. Tim Keller said Martin Luther and John Wesley were very religious guys. They were, but they never had the Spirit of they, For a certain amount of time in, in their early ministry years, they had very little of the Spirit of God. They did good things. They wrote commentaries. They taught the Bible. They gave alms to the poor. They shared their faith. They instructed the wayward. They grew ministries, but they never grew themselves. This is, this, this is like an epidemic in what I do for a living. Right? I mean, it's true of me. I'm not putting myself above it. We spend a lot of time studying the scripture. We spend a lot of people teaching the scripture. We spend little time abiding in Jesus. And here's what I wanted to show you last week. The only way to really change, and I mean really change, not just grind out change, to change on the inside and to produce what the stop producing what the flesh does, messed up spirituality and addictions and relational shipwrecks. If you want to change at the heart level, there's only one thing you can do. I'm going to keep telling you this until we get done with the series. You've got to focus on the root, not on the fruit. We buy books on the fruit all the time. How do I become like this? How do I get that? 
The scripture is saying you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're never going to get there. It's all free if you will stay rooted. Jesus said in order to change, in order to really produce fruit, you've got to abide. You've got to remain. You've got to stay connected to me. What is the job of a branch? Which is what the scripture says you are. The job of the branch is never to produce fruit. The job of the branch is to simply stay connected to the vine. At all costs, stay connected to the vine. If you stay connected to the vine, you will produce fruit. It's inevitable. And so last week we did a little experiment. To be honest, I wasn't sure how it would play out. But check this out. This is, if you were here last week, this is a lovely fig tree. And there are a lot of figs on it, more than last week. Tree, I think it's grown a little bit. Um, there's a couple figs now down at the bottom that weren't here last week. And, and what have I done with this fig tree? All I did literally after, after I went left Sunday is I put it in that window. And four times this week I, I, I got water and I watered it. Simply staying connected to the vine. But there was another tree last week. That we had on this side. Does anybody remember what we did to that tree where everybody got mad at me? All you plantatarians. <laughs> All of you tree huggers, as they say. What, what, did, what happened? We, we took a sawzall and quite dramatically, just very low, right at the dirt level, we cut the root of that tree. are pathetic. (laughs) Is that amazing? Have you ever seen a better visual than that? I was here one day this week. I want you to know I treated these plants exactly the same. They both sat in the same window. They both got the exact same amount of water. In fact, I was here one day last week, and there was painters in here painting the ceiling. There was masons working on the block, and there was guys doing sound checks. And I'm here watering these two plants. And as I'm watering this one, they're all going, what are, I mean, it looked just like this. <laughs> they're going, what are you doing? Well, I said, I said well, I want to do this for, 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 to be authentic. Right? I don't want to treat this plant any different than the way I'm treating this plant. And so I'm watering this tree just as much, even though it looks like this. That was my first answer. But then it was like God gave me a little revelation while I was talking to somebody about this. I said, you know what? As I was throwing water on this plant, I said, don't we do this in the church all the time? The church is in business of doing this. We water disconnected vines all the time. What do we do? I mean, we do a little more Bible study, a little more mission work, get yourself into accountability groups, give a little bit more money, Give a little bit more of your time. Go on your retreats. But if somebody is not connected to the living Jesus Christ, listen to me, the living, this is what we say we believe. 
If you are not remaining in him, abiding with him, walking with him, connected to him, you can do all of the Christian stuff you want. It's like pouring water on this plant. You can put as much Christian stuff in you want. If it's not connected to the root, do you know what it will do in terms of changing you? Nothing. In fact, the scripture actually tells if you just keep adding that Christian stuff to unconnected roots, it actually, knowledge puffs up, right? See, here's the scary part, if you're honest, from so many of us. Is this not the majority of our experience in our faith? Somebody told us all the things we needed to do, all the books we needed to read, all the verses we had to memorize, all the things, you're a Christian now, no more having any fun. We've got to stop doing this. That's off limits. And we've watched, we've watched in the churches all the outward gifts, all of the outward gifts are celebrated. Oh, he sings so wonderfully. Oh, his preaching, it's, it's so anointed. Oh, this guy writes books like crazy. We love the outward gifts, right? We hold those up and we try to, I just want to be like him because he speaks so well and he moves people so deeply. I want to be like him. And what do we do? We buy the t-shirts and we slap on the bumper stickers and we go to promise keepers and, and women of faith and we start speaking funny religious language to each other. When's the last time you told somebody at work you wanted to get together on the weekend and have some fellowship with them? We start, we have our own language that we incorporate and yet if we're honest, there's so little change. So little fruit. And the reason is this, when you first came to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that he was the ransom for sinners, that he was the Messiah, he was the promised one, when you decided that you were going to give your life to him, when you decided that you were going to follow him, did anybody ever say to you, when you said, now what do I do, did anybody ever say, the only thing you've got to do, it's so important, don't screw it up, it's the only thing you can't do, the only thing you must do is... Abide. Oh man, you got to stay with them. You got to stay connected to Jesus because everything in the known world is going to try to pull you apart from them. This gives me more chance to tell you to pick up that resource I offered you last week. I'm the kind of guy that offers resources at a paid price out of the, uh, the Welcome Center. We're, we're giving it at the same price we bought it. It's a book by Brother Lawrence. It was written in the 1600s by a Carmelite monk. He was an uneducated man. He uh, came and had an experience with God, and he began to work in uh, this monastery. And what began to be noticed about him is even though he worked in the kitchen, even though he cleaned people's monks' sandals, even though he was uneducated, even because he could, couldn't become a monk, there was something about the way that this Brother Lawrence abided in Christ. He was with Christ every day, every moment. People would come from all around to sit down with this uneducated monk and say, why are you so intimate with Jesus? And they wrote down his conversations. And it's called Practicing the Presence of God. I'm telling you, it's a short book. I bought you the 2014 version. It's $9, I think. We sold out 25 of them last week in like a few minutes. There's another 20 out there, something like that. You should, well, we'll get more. I'll just keep giving them. You should take this to the beach this summer. Practice abide. Practice the presence of Christ. Understand what this man discovered. It's a great resource. Those who want to change, if you want to change, hear me on this. This is what you have to do. You have to stop focusing on the fruit. 
You have to stop saying, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. And you have to start focusing on abiding and remaining in the root. Otherwise, we become people, we focus on the fruit. Oh, I'm going to be more loving. Now, we have strawberries this morning. If you came in, you got a nice, fresh strawberry. It's kind of our fruit of the Spirit. Here's what we become like when we focus on the fruit. We become like a dead plant whose greatest focus is hanging some fake fruit on. We do this, we laugh, right? But isn't this what we do? We don't connect to Christ on any deep level. We just try to produce the fruit that would be associated with connecting with with Christ. We hang counterfeit fruit on a dead tree. I'm going to love more. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try really hard to love. I'm going to love my husband and my kids and my family more. That is until they do something that really ticks me off. And then I tried really hard, God. I tried so hard. God, why do I keep failing? I'm trying so hard. And can you hear the God from heaven saying, stop trying and start abiding? Here's the deal. Love, real love that comes from abiding, that comes from remaining, I believe it is the greatest of the fruits. Now, remember from last week, we don't all get different fruits. It's not like a spiritual gift. Some people are upfront people. Some people are behind-the-scenes people. Some people are healers. Some people are evangelists. If you are growing in the inevitable fruit of the Spirit, you get all of them. Because they're all interdependent. They're all related one to another. Some don't get love, and others get patience. You get all of them. You cannot love. You can't have biblical love without kindness and patience. If you're connected to the vine, you, here's what the scripture says, if you're connected to the vine, you will love. And not just those who love you, Jesus says. Anybody can do that. But love your enemies. I tell all my friends this. This is the the best experience I had with Christ in in this regard. Driving through the hills of Pennsylvania, I used to drive out to Cleveland and back for my other job a couple times a year. And I'd put on my worship CDs and I'd be driving through those mountains and winding around. And sometimes, not every time, but sometimes, if you seek him with all your heart, you'll find him. Sometimes I would find him. And I'd be driving the car and I would just be moved to tears. And uh, I'd be crying as I'm driving down the road. You know, tears would be coming down my face. And God, several times, there was, I, you know, all of us, especially if you're in ministry, you, you, you wind up with some persecutors. And, and this is years ago now, but this person would come to mind. It was probably the person that was the hardest on me, the person that was the meanest to me. And every time I experienced Christ, I didn't understand this until recently, that person's face, boop, popped into my head. And I used to think that was because it was Satan trying to get me to, to give up on loving, trying to get me frustrated. But what I've come to think is, what I understood was when that guy's face popped up in front of me, now I gave away the sex, when that person's face came, popped into my head, what I realized was I actually had a feeling of love for them. When you connect, you don't have to fake love. See, we read love your enemies and you go, how am I going to love my enemies? I can't fake that. You don't need to fake it. You will love your enemies. It will just be natural. It, you won't even be trying. It just, it's just something that happens. If you're connected, you love. That kind of love. It's, if you're around the church so long, you've heard a word for this love, right? You've heard it, but you've never experienced it. It's this concept of agape. It means to serve a person for their good and their value, not for what they bring to you. Why do you think that Paul says the first thing is, the fruit of the Spirit is, the first one is... Love. And I think he puts them in order for in this order for a reason. 
Because he got it from Jesus. Who, when he was talking about abiding in John 15, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain or abide in my love. Whose love do we remain in? Whose love are we connected to? Is this our love, our best efforts? That's what happens with fake fruit. <laughs> we have to abide in his love. John 15, 11, same, same, same chapter. I've told you these things so that your joy, so that excuse me, my joy might be in you and your joy would be complete. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Whose joy? Do you know the joy of Jesus Christ is available to you in that new life in you? Right before this conversation in, in, in John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave you with. My peace I give to you. I don't give it to you as the world gives it to you. You get His peace. If you abide, you get His love, His joy, His peace. It's not fake fruit. It's the real thing. It flows into us. It becomes true of us. Probably the second or third most famous verse in the Bible, and I know you all know it. Proves this point, you've proved this point at every wedding you've ever been to. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I got the gift of preaching, but I don't have love, I'm a resounding God. If I have the gift of prophecy, everybody wants to be a prophet, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I'm brilliant. And I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love. I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, I give my body over to hardship so that I can boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Listen, church, stop looking for the external gifts. Stop seeking the external gifts. Start seeking the, the root. You'll get the fruit. We're all going down these wrong roads trying to find happiness in all these other places, and it keeps leading to this fake fruit that falls off dead trees. And then Paul says something about love. What does he say about love? He says, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Paul says love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor love others. It doesn't seek. It's not self-seeking. It's, it's not easily angered. It doesn't keep records of wrongs. Love, it doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices in truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always pers perseveres. It never fails. Paul says, if you are, church, if it is inevitable, if you're connected to Christ, that you will be produced fruit, how are you at being a lover? If I went home and looked at your Facebook page and I read it, would I come away and go, oof, that person loves like crazy? If I looked at your checkbook and I said, let me, see, let me just examine it, oh my gosh, look at how they love. If I looked at your calendar and said, let me see, oof, this person, Because this is what the scripture teaches, that it's inevitable if we're connected to Christ. It's not counterfeit fruit. We hang counterfeit love on withered trees. Listen to me. We hang counterfeit fruit on withered trees all the time. I love him. Oh, I love her. What is counterfeit love? Counterfeit love is the kind of love you, you put out because of the way it makes you feel. It's selfish affection. It's when you're attracted to someone and you treat them well because of how they make you feel about yourself. I was driving with my, my kids the other day and my kids are getting to the age where they're getting their hearts broken. Right? 
Who had their heart broken sometime in high school? Raise your hand. Start getting your heart broken, right? And so one of them said to me, they said, Dad, uh, we were talking, you know, brothers and sisters, we were talking and we were trying to figure this out. It was actually kind of fun that they were thinking about this. And they said, we were thinking, boy, it never should have been like this, right, Dad? It never should have been like this. This is because of the fall that we get our hearts broken when we love. And I started thinking about that and I said, I don't think that's it. I think the reason you get your heart broken when you love is because you don't understand what love is. You get your heart broken when you love because you attach it to somebody that is giving something back to you, making you feel a certain way about yourself, making you feel good. And so often when that, that, the severing of that relationship happens, it hurts. Why does it hurt? Because I was getting something out of that. See, this love that Jesus is talking about is not just this getting something out of it, love. He's saying that if you attach to the vine of God, you begin to give love. Our society is so based on getting love. Jesus says that's great, but if you will attach to the vine, you will begin to have whose love? His love. And what kind of love does Jesus have? When it goes away, the truth is, when love goes away, the truth is that the fruit was fake and the plant was dead. It looked good for a while. You felt this in your relationships, maybe even in your marriages. It felt good for a time, but the fruit was fake and the plant was dead. How many of you have been the victim of counterfeit fruit when it comes to love? Tougher question. How many of you have been purveyors of it? But Jesus said, as the Father has loved me in the same way, I love you. He says, stay connected to this. Bask in it. Bathe in it. Revel in it. How much does the Father love Jesus? Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder how much God loves Jesus? Intellectually, we'd all say, I I'm pretty sure I understand that he loves him a lot. Jesus is saying the same way that God loves me, God the Father loves me, is the same way I love you. And if you abide in it, do you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to start to love other people the way God loves the Father and the way I love you. That's the way you're going to begin to love all kinds of people. You won't produce fake fruit, but you will have real passion for others if you will abide. You will begin to have his heart for the lost. You'll begin to have his heart for those who are your enemies. You'll begin to see people differently. Eric Fromm wrote a famous book, Six Million Copies of It Were Sold, it was called The Art of Loving. And he said there were three characteristics that, that were not counterfeit love. He said the first, the key to being real, to loving somebody with this kind of agape love. If you want to see if the love that's coming out of you is real fruit, ask yourself this question. First, is it concentrated? Do you love anybody with a concentrated form of love where you're so focused on them, not just what they're saying, but where you're so focused on their soul, where you're not worried about, oh, is this person conforming to my, to my desires? Is this person doing what I want? But you, gentlemen, when's the last time, and I need to ask myself the same question, when you looked into the wife of your eyes and you didn't just see her one way, but you saw into her soul. 
I do a lot of marriage counseling. When people start to get this, it changes their whole relationship. When they stop looking at each other and start concentrating on each other at deep levels, when they love, when they see the way Jesus sees, when they love the way Jesus loves, and it comes from abiding, when they focus. Tony Campolo has a great story about this. He was teaching at the University of Pennsylvania. And he said he had an intro to sociology class. There was about 750 kids in the class. And he said the kids were always too afraid to come and ask questions during class because there were so many kids there. So he said he would have office hours. And often during office hours, the kids would come down and ask a question. But he said, you know, I'm a busy guy and I got a lot of appointments. And, you know, I'd hear a knock at the door. And the door was closed for a reason, he would say. I would hope they wouldn't come. And one day this kid came and he knocked on the door and he said, I answered with my, my usual kind of gruffness of, who is it? And the kid said, you know, my name is whatever and I have a question for you. And the, and the kid came in, and he said, I, I have a question, Dr. Campolo, about Durkheim. I'd like to understand some of the principles of Durkheim. And Campolo went on and told him all about Durkheim. He said, I went through the whole thing on Durkheim. I answered every question there was about Durkheim. I got them right. They were factually correct. And the kid just sat there, and he said, after a little while, the kid was giving me nothing back. I had given him all that I knew about Durkheim. I had answered every question he wanted. And then I said to the kid, is that all? He said the kid just kind of looked at him and said, yeah, I I guess that's about it. He walked out of Campolo's classroom and he said he went back to work. He was moving his papers around. Fifteen minutes later, that young man climbed to the highest point on the University of Pennsylvania and jumped and killed himself. And what Campolo said was, I was the God guy on campus. When people wanted, this was a secular university, and when people wanted to, to know God, the thought was, well, if they came to me, I might be able to guide them. But you see, I wasn't, I wasn't abiding, I wasn't concentrating, I wasn't looking at what was around the words, I was just hearing the words, I didn't really care. I was on Facebook this week, and a kid that was in my, my uh, high school class, funny story, I was at a golf outing this week, and you know how I like to lie about my age a little? Uh, somebody said, what class were you in? I said, oh, I was Mount Olive High School class of 1999. And uh, there's a guy that I had never met before, and he looked at me for a while, and then one of my friends was there, and they're like, tell him what year you actually were. I said, well, I was really class of 85. And the guy looked at me, and he goes, man, he goes, I was looking at you thinking, you look like hell. <laughs> I thought to myself, I've got to change my dates a little bit now because it's not helping me anymore. But there was a young man named Joey. I'm not going to give you his last name. His name was Joey, and I found out on Facebook this week that he had a wife and a kid, and he worked at ShopRite, and he blew his brains out this week. The whole world is looking for people that will abide enough in Christ that they can love those who need to be loved. Are you ab- How are you as a lover? The second thing is about love is, is there's concern. You have to have the heart of Christ for others. Here's what I do all the time. Joan will tell you, and I just realized it's so wrong. When there's bad stories, Joan comes home. She's a school nurse, and she comes home with some of the hardest stories. And all the time, she starts to tell me, and I go, no, no, don't tell me, because it hurts my heart too much. When I see this stuff going on in the news sometimes, I turn it off because I don't want to see it. You know why? Because I don't want it to break me out of my little bubble. I don't want to have concern for the least of these. It's too much for me sometimes. But it was never too much for Jesus. There's a great story about Andrew Young, who was the mayor of Atlanta when most of us were younger and his first term in office. He wanted to get a feel for what was going on with the homeless population in his town. So he decided what he was going to do is he was going to dress up as a homeless man and he was going to live on the street homeless for three days. 
So he walks out into the community. He's about to leave, and everybody on his staff says, are you crazy? You've been on TV every day for the last 18 months. Everybody knows who Andrew Young is. As soon as they go out and look into your eyes, as soon as they see your face, they're going to know you're Andrew Young, and it's going to blow the whole cover. You're wasting your time. Andrew Young doesn't listen. He goes out. He lives on the street for three days. He walks back into his office. Three days later, the staff greets him at a staff meeting. They look at him and they said, are we right? Did they know the minute they looked into your face, did they see that you were Andrew Young and determine that this whole thing was a sham? And he said, here's one thing I've learned in the last three days. Nobody ever looks in the face of a homeless man. Nobody ever looks in the face of a homeless man. See, real love does something different. Lastly, real love is committed. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, take up the cross and follow after me. God is committed to Jesus. And in the same way, at the same level, Jesus is committed to you. As the Father has loved him, so does he love you. And so the question begs of authentic fruit instead of fake fruit. Who in your life are you wholly committed to above your own comfort and above your own pleasure? Who are you willing to suffer for, to sacrifice for, Who are you patient with? Who are you kind to? And it's seen, this kind of love is seen in no other place like it is, this authentic love than on the cross, this commitment of love. I heard a great quote this week. It said, when a man is hanging on a cross, he doesn't need to say anything at all. That's love. Not that we loved him, but that he first lived us and gave himself for us. Mendham, who do you love? Paul says, examine yourselves. If you're abiding in Christ, you will love. Who do you love? Who are you concentrating on? Who are you conserved over? Who are you committed to? I'll close with this. You want, your, you, you want, you want the law? Worship guys, you can come up. You want the law? I'll give you the law. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, Jesus said, if you abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, and your flesh would read that and you'd say, oh, here it is. Here's the book. Here's the principle. This is how I love. Here's the self-improvement. This is what I've got to do. John 15, 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Father, change our hearts. Open our eyes and connect us to the one true and living vine. Elders, would you come forward? We're going to share.